0: Welcome to the Face Yoga Expert podcast. Coming up.
1: The kind of the sadness and and the shock across all of the family of those ice sports. I mean, it was just massive. It's like, what what are we doing? Like, sliding like a penguin on our tummy and someone's just died. And what am I doing? Like, hang on a minute, let's get a little reality grip here. So it was really um, frightening, shocking. You know, they purposely built the fastest track that had ever been made.
0: I'm your host, Danielle Collins, and I'm the world-leading face yoga expert, best-selling author of the book, Danielle Collins Face Yoga, and creator of the international teacher training program, The Danielle Collins Face Yoga Method. 17 years ago, I healed myself from chronic illness, and I've spent the last 15 years teaching, sharing, and serving millions of people in person, on TV, and online to help them look and feel the best version of themselves. This podcast is about giving you simple, effective, natural tips and advice and sharing knowledge and insight from industry experts. If you have a friend who you think would enjoy this podcast, please share it on social media as it means so much if you took a moment to rate and review this podcast as it allows more people to feel healthier and happier naturally. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This is the Face Yoga Expert podcast. wow i am so excited to introduce today's guest i have amy williams mbe on the show amy won britain's first solo winter olympic gold medal for 30 years in 2010 in the vancouver winter olympics and she had victory in the women's skeleton And as well as an Olympic champion, Amy's achievements include presenting, motivational speaking. She's mum to two lovely little boys. She's a national treasure and she's an all round lovely person. I cannot wait to share this interview with you. It's going to be full of amazing tips and advice on health, fitness and self-care. So let's dive straight in so amy thank you for coming along today i'm so excited to have you here i just want to start by taking you right back to the beginning and talking a little bit about what you were like as a child were you into sports were you someone that was just
1: super motivated just share with us a little bit about that yeah crikey so um i guess first of all i'm a twin so i have a twin sister which lots of people first question is oh my goodness were you so competitive with her No, not really, Um, and then I have an older brother who's 18 months older. I think mostly as a child, so we grew up, we didn't have a TV, so we were always outside, always active, it was that playtime in the garden, you know, mucking around together, making rope swings or having our little patch of garden that we'd look after, whatever it might be. So our, our whole kind of family lifestyle growing up was sort of active outside. As a family, we would all go swimming. I was part of like an athletics club at school. Yes, I was definitely that that child that did all the different sports whenever I could. I remember being seven, eight, nine and we just moved to Bath and we were still going across to Bristol once a week to swim. So we did do little competitions of competitiveness sort of, I guess when we were about, yeah, 10, 11, 12. And then we stopped that and it was more athletics then. And I would go to an athletics club Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, and then it kind of became a Sunday morning and a Monday night weights, and it kind of developed into almost four times a week. And that was around the age, oh, sort of 15, 16. And that became my thing. So from our school, athletics, and then the club, I kind of did everything, sort of 100 metres, 200 metres, a bit of hurdles. Um, then I wanted to do 400, but at that age group, you kind of do 300 metres. Uh, and then, yeah, it kind of got into my head. Having watched Sally Gunnell win her four, her 400 metre hurdle gold in Barcelona Olympics, whenever that was. Yeah, that's what made me think, right, 400. That looks like one of the toughest races on the track. You know, it's the longest sprint. Let's do this.
0: I love how you pick the toughest one. You're well, like, well, you the just toughest? kind of think, right, once sprint. around. <laughs>
1: that's a good solid once around the last yes. done. Yeah. Um, and then you realize how hardcore the yes. training is. Um, and yeah, and I got into it. You know, so this was sort of 16, 17, 18 kind of age. And then I had a lot of problems with my shins, sort of shin splints, compartment syndrome, had to take time out, couldn't do the long distance stuff I needed. And that's when I just sort of started, Well, I still want to compete. I still want to be good at something. And then I fell into kind of skeleton. So yeah, we, we were as a whole, very active family. Sundays were always church, Sunday lunch, dad's walk. Dad's Not walk that. could be one hour or four hours, depending if we got lost. Or where we went, you know, maybe there might be some national trust thing in the middle of some home that you hated as a kid, but now actually I find it really fascinating. So yeah, it was very much like... Very active. Active, healthy, outside kind of life living.
0: I'm not sure yeah. how I'd cope with that TV with my kids. I feel like when I put the TV on, it's like my 10 minutes to go and yeah, like make please. dinner or do. So. so your parents were so brave, not having a TV. It but maybe maybe that's why you've been so yeah. successful. Maybe I should just get rid of the TV. <laughs>
1: maybe I, that's what I should do now. I think you know, back then, we, like we didn't have phones, we didn't have TV. Yeah, like of there wasn't all your social media, Facebook or that. It didn't exist. Okay, I guess some kids would have computers, you know, your first kind of computers, computer games, but we just didn't. Yeah. It was just normal. Like, yeah. my parents never had a TV when living. Like, yeah. that was just normal. And then you realise when you were at Friends, like, oh, yeah, look. Or when we went to my grandma's house or my my nanny's house, like, look, there's the TV. And my grandma's house, I remember it being amazing, like, around Christmas because you'd watch these different programmes and... Yeah, you just kind of had that association, and, and weirdly enough, like Antiques Roadshow. You know, you'd been know, around on a Sunday for tea. That just is my
0: memory of Sundays. Oh my goodness, Antiques, yeah. and Roadshow. I love it. Like that's yes. a Sunday, isn't it? It's yeah. Antiques Roadshow and so. Last of the Summer Wine. Do you remember all that? Of those <laughs> things?
1: That was yeah. the sort of because that's the only things you'd ever watch around yeah. grandparents' houses, and it was like such a treat to be able to watch. So yeah, it's, oh my um, gosh. So yeah,
0: that was just such a, I guess, an outdoorsy and active. Mm childhood Mm. and then you say you fell into a skeleton I love that how easy (laughs) you make it sound so tell me a bit about how that happened how you went from being really into the athletics Mm. into more the winter sports
1: so living at Bath and uh, being up around the university so uh, the University of Bath amazing facilities but I remember when I first started it was just an outdoor athletics a small swimming pool and a small little gym And I literally was just mucking around in the gym one day stretching. I don't even think I should have been in there because I wasn't a member or whatever it was. Um, And anyway, I got chatting to some um, athletes and there were these tall, big, muscular guys and these slightly smaller girls and guys. And I just sort of got chatting. And they were basically the bobsleigh and skeleton athletes. And they were just about to go out to do a, a push session. So the On the grounds of the university, uh, they had just built a special start track. So this was 2002. So, well, actually, it must have been, I guess maybe it could have been end of 2001. So they built it for the 2002 Olympics. So that was the Salt Lake City Games, February 2002. And it was just for the athletes to train to practice that sprint start. So with the bobsleigh or skeleton. You're holding the sled, you run, you sprint, and you dive on, jump on, whatever. And there, they were about to go down and do a session. So I was like, oh, look, can I come and have a look? Can I come and see? Invited myself down and just started kind of having a go with them. There was no real coaching structure or anything in the sport then. Traditionally, it was all military. So all the sliding sports, the skeleton bobsleigh and luge, were all military, basically. Um, So yeah I just went and had a go, and as it happened, well, actually, yeah, it must have been at the start of two thousand and two, and I remember actually watching those Olympics, and that group of people were watching the skeleton race up on on the TV screens in the old cafe up at the university. Yeah, I remember. and I do remember physically watching the Olympic Games off skeleton with this girl called Alex Coomber who was in the RAF and she won a bronze medal. But my brain nowhere near thought, well, that's the sport I'm going to do. There was no connection at all. I just remember watching it and then got involved with these people in the gym. Yeah. And they were going out to do this World Championships push start competition. So this was then the summer of 2002. And they were all heading out to do this competition, competing for Great Britain. And I asked, could I go out? So at that point, actually, I was as fast as quite a lot of them because I just picked it up, giving it a go. So I was allowed to go out if I paid my own way and I could enter in the guest category. Okay. So, I mean, this was a big deal. So I was 17 at this point
0: how did your parents feel about you doing that
1: you know i've never really asked them just like yeah whatever they were just like go like, off your trot!" my little pocket money <laughs> pot paid for me to go out i remember it being like a ridiculous amount of trek, like seven trains or something to wow. get like all the way out to Groningen in yeah. holland to this little place and it was scaffolding all set up in the middle of a town center so it's a huge competition world push championships yeah in the town center a massive kind of festival yeah, so I entered as a guest. I won my guest category and then came second overall. And the, they just got on a performance director, a guy called Simon Timpson. And he said, well, look, try the real thing. Go on ice, try it. There's an army ice camp. And that was then in October 2002 in Lillehammer in Norway. It cost something like £2,000 or something for this two-week course. Right, go and see, have a go and see if you like it um so yeah i um every penny that i'd ever earn and by this point because i was doing an art foundation course at this point you weren't actually even doing sports at that stage no i was doing an art foundation course (gasps) doing specializing in textile art and was going to go off to university potentially edinburgh to do a textile art degree wow so you weren't going to go and do sports science no my life was kind of like art oh because i just was like sports science i was like oh just the academic the science side yeah you like the creative thing. like the creative side of life so yeah i actually put on hold the art because i was like well i need basically i didn't have two thousand pounds i needed the student a student loan to basically pay for the trip yeah so i i had good enough grades so i did then do my first attempt to do a good degree was a sports development yeah and well, i can't even remember sports development degree or sports yeah whatever <laughs> i don't I can't even remember like um but basically that student loan paid for me to go out onto ice so i missed freshers week like i missed all of that kind of bonding with all your roomies and Does all the that Does that make you it. sad when you think you miss those sort of things yeah. or you just like, like whatever no. yeah like, it was a That's bit good. you yeah. know it was a means to an end yeah, right of join up to get to go to the uni, yeah. to sort of do the sports degree, but actually to pay for the first trip on ice. Mm. So yeah, two weeks trip. Yeah, I guess that just kind of started it off. I didn't love it to begin with. Oh really? No, like it's such a weird sport when you start. Like, but I just Don't kept people going. People call it a tea tray, like going down on a tea well, tray. Well, we I get feel quite like offended I'm, when people call I it a tea can tray imagine. because it is not a tea tray. It I is a imagine. very heavy, sophisticated, thousands of pounds worth of equipment. But yes. <laughs> Hasht- People call like it tea hashtag tray. tea tray. Oh, really? It's a hashtag? Well, no, I've just, said, I've just made that up there oh, and then. No. You now know
0: it's <laughs> going to be a thing. Hashtag tea tray.
1: Everyone calls it a tea tray. People are going to be hashtagging this podcast. Hashtag yeah, tea hashtag tray. Tea tray. <laughs> yeah, so no, but it was that kind of, there was a few of us civilians on this military ice camp. And you just didn't want to look like a wimp. I mean, I cried after the first one. You get hurt. You're black and blue in bruises. You crash. You hit the walls. It's not fun to begin with, but maybe that environment of, no, no, I don't want to look like this little wimp, this civilian with all these beefy army people and bobsleigh guys. Yeah. So then you just sort of, right. You just get on with it. Do this. And then that addiction starts of, I don't want to hit 10 walls. I only want to hit nine. I only want to hit eight. I want to get down a second quicker, two seconds quicker. Wow. You know, that kind of competitive sort of, actually, I think I could be good at this, wow. kind of gets into your head.
0: Yes. And then when did you first realise, OK, I think I'm good enough to be able to enter the Olympics? Because I imagine
1: a selection process is there to get yes. into the Olympics. Yeah, yeah I mean, massive <clears throat> selection. So this, so the first time I sort of went properly on ice would have been the end of 2002, the start of 2003. We still had no real structure to the sport, so there was no real funding. The sport was then quite fresh, so the performance director who had just come on, Simon Timpson, started to get odd bits of funding, bits from lottery and UK sport, and all these different places. And so I worked full time, so I, by this point, So I did a year of uni and then quit, Uh, moved back home, which is ridiculous because I wanted to move up to be on campus, to be a proper student. And then I was like, well, stuff this. I quit. So I quit, moved back to my family's home to save money. And then I worked in Thornton's chocolate shop. Uh, I would go to the gym at 6am when they opened, do my first gym session, go and do my stint in the Thornton chocolate chocolate shop stop at about 4 p.m. go back to the university and do my second session go home eat my dinner go to bed that was and life that was your life that was yeah. life so yeah because we still had to contribute quite a lot of money each winter season you see to pay for your your helmet your equipment your race suit you're the runners on the sled expensive. so loads of stuff i remember uh, a granny in the village bought one of my first helmets so that was 500 pounds oh. you know like stuff like oh. that That's people so nice. really so rallied around you and actually it was a few years back i was at a charity event in bath and there was this young motocross rider this young lad who also needed funding and i Gave back, I gave him £500 because he needed a new helmet for his motocross. And I just felt so, like, drawn to his story because he was an up-and-coming motocross bike. And I was like, you know what, that granny did that for me. And it made someone to have faith in you at such a young age be like, come on, you can do this. And so I, I just felt, obviously, I was in a generous mood as well. I was just like, you know what? I'm going to write you a cheque for £500, and I will give back what someone gave me and give you. And I know, so I nice. haven't heard from him for a while, but I know he's doing so well, and we've stayed in touch for a little bit. Um, so, yeah, we had to contribute a lot to begin with. So as the programme and sport became better and better, and we brought home more medals from your Europa Cup level to so a lower level, then you get onto the World Cup competition, and you get to compete in a world champs, It's all results driven. You have to get results in every race to keep your place on the team. Depending on how well you do, depends whether you qualify for the World Championships. Depending on how well you do in the World Championships means whether you can get your own personal lottery funding. So there was an A, B, C category level and that was different amounts of money. So all of that meant, okay, can I now work part time? Can I train harder? Can I flip things over so that I slowly become almost a full time athlete? because I'm getting better and better and competing. And so you just came into that lifestyle that actually I have to perform. I have to train as hard as I can because I need to get into selection races. I have to come first or second. I have to get onto World Cup level. At the end of the eight World Cup races, I have to have qualified one or two places for that world champs. At a world champs, I have to have come top three, top eight, top 12 to get a level of lottery funding. So that knock on every day or performance it's sort of built into you. And did you find that a lot of
0: pressure from externally or internally? How did you sort mm. of cope with that pressure of constantly having to perform, constantly having to be the best improve yourself?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest pressure uh, was the year before the Turin Olympics. That was 2006. So as a nation, depending on how well you do as a nation, is how many places you get at an Olympic Games. So at that point, we knew we'd only qualify. It was one girl, well, one lady... Girl, I get sometimes I get told off for saying girls. Really? Yeah, when I commentated on the last Olympics, oh. you're calling them girls. That's really set, like, oh, it just naturally comes well, we out. Know what the you boys, mean. the girls. You can call the <laughs> ladies, girls, women, ladies, girls, girls whatever, Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the girls. We we would only have one place for the girls and two for the guys. So it was a real big pressure because it was between me and this other girl on the team. Like in that competition season before, who was going to go to the Olympics? And every single race, all you cared about was beating the other girl. It didn't matter if you were seventh, but as long as you beat the other girl. And it became really this kind of battle in your head and the stress and anxiety and that pressure you put on yourself because you desperately wanted to go to the games knowing there was one place. And yeah, when you look back on it, it did affect the way I performed, it affect your headspace The whole way, every single competition was only in your head. I have to beat them, I have to beat them. And obviously for us in our sport, if that puts 1% of extra tension, 5% extra tension in your body or you your skid a bit more, you'll make mistakes, your thoughts, you're not empty brain to be able to slide. So yeah, I didn't get to go. It was down to that last race of like, right, if she came here, if I came that, would I get to go? So I went out as reserve. I went out because I wanted to learn from the experience I wanted to feel what it was like within an Olympic Games and the energy and that buzz and you can't practice the thousands of people watching, but I wanted to learn from the environment and I commentated on the radio, which was also a new thing, never done before. I went off to Australia, did a bit of traveling afterwards and then the headspace was that fire in the belly. I will never, ever watch an Olympic Games. I will compete. So I then I knew Obviously I had- You see, like one day you made that decision, it was suddenly just, you were like, right, that's boom. it. Boom. I'm going to be in the Olympics competing. If we are good enough, and we pretty much knew by then we would have two places because we got better and better in each year. And I was just like, I will have my feet on that start line. It, at that point, it was nothing to do with medals. It was just, I will compete at an Olympics. I have four years to the date. So that fire was in the belly. The blinkers went on decisions of every day would this help me go to the Olympics yes or no and, that and that's what you had
0: to do every single day everything that you drank everything you
1: ate, ate everything drank, you thought go into bed st- you know sleeping everything every decision was only selfishly for you as an athlete of I am go- you know I'm not going to miss that Chance to go to an Olympics. And obviously as you get better and better in this and that, you're like, you know what, I know I can get a medal. Or, you know, that side of it comes into it. But to begin with, no, it's just four years of Vancouver Olympics. Like, I'm gonna go. My feet are gonna be on that start line.
0: That's amazing. So I just want to take a brief pause in this episode to tell you a little bit about my apps. So I have five apps. I want to talk to you a little bit about how these work and how they can help you as well. So I have two face yoga apps. One of them is 10 Minute Natural Facelift and the other one is face yoga for your busy life. And sometimes you'll find this listed on your app store as face yoga one and face yoga two. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about both of those. So, Face Yoga One or 10 Minute Natural Facelift is all about really working separate parts of the face in just 10 minutes. So, you have a track on the app which is 10 minutes working the upper face, and they're all techniques which are designed to lift and firm and smooth the face in that upper part. Then there's a track which is 10 minutes for the lower face. So, again, it's about strengthening and toning the muscles under the skin and combining massage with that too. You have a lovely track, which is called warm-up, but this can be used at any point during your face yoga workout or any point during the day. And this is all massage techniques. They're really designed to boost the circulation in the skin, help to increase the collagen and elastin production, help to detoxify and help to improve lymphatic drainage. You have 10 minutes on this app, which is focused on acupressure, affirmations and some nice releases for the shoulder and the neck as well. Now, there's three bonus tracks on this app. So you have a lovely bonus track, which is focused on body yoga, which really benefits the face. And it's wonderful where it's filmed as well. So you'll see it on top of a really nice building in London, in the beautiful spring sunshine, overlooking the most amazing view. So it's such a nice app. You've also got a really excellent interview with a skincare expert, which explains how to make your own skincare at home using really simple natural ingredients, which you'll find in your kitchen. And there's also a track on this app, which is how to make juices and smoothies really easily at home, which are going to benefit your skin. So this is Face Yoga 1 or 10 Minute Natural Facelift, and it's available on DVD as well. The second face yoga app, which I've got, which you can just download by searching Danielle Collins on your app store is face yoga for your busy life, sometimes called face yoga two on your app store. Now, this is perfect if you want to do a structured face yoga program, but you really want to integrate it into your day. So you have 15 face yoga tracks on this app and they're all between one and a half and three and a half minutes each. And on each track, I recommend where you can do these little mini workouts. So, for example, when you wake up in the morning, when you're in bed just before you go to sleep, when you're in the shower, when you're sitting in front of the TV and you're just relaxing on your sofa, just before you put your makeup on, just before you go out to a party whilst you're in your car. So there's loads of really good examples of when you can actually integrate face yoga into your day to day life. If you just want to do it as one full workout, so it takes about 30 minutes, you can sit down and enjoy it in that way. So it doesn't need to be done at these certain points in the day. It's entirely up to you how you use it. And this app is also filmed in a beautiful location. It's filmed in Greece on the beach. So you see the sea, the sunshine, the sand. So you really can immerse yourself in that relaxing experience as well. And this app has two bonus tracks. You have a meditation session, which is all focused on helping you to look and feel the best you can. And if you're a regular to my podcast or you follow me on social media, you know that I believe that real beauty comes from the inside out. And that means working on our mindset. So this meditation is really going to help to complement all the hard work you're doing with your face yoga. And there's also a lovely body yoga section. Again, it's filmed with the beautiful sunset in Greece. You'll see the sea. It's like a beautiful silvery colour as you're doing this body yoga workout. And all these body yoga poses are beneficial for the face. And then I have three other apps, which you can search Danielle Collins on your app store for as well. So there's a body yoga app, a wellbeing yoga app, and there's also a mama yoga app. So the body yoga app is six, 10 minute sections, all focused on yoga and Pilates for toning and strengthening different parts of the body. So for example, there's 10 minutes on the bottom area, 10 minutes on the tummy area, 10 minutes on the arm area, and so on. And this also has some great bonus tracks. The Wellbeing Yoga app, which is also called 10 Minute Natural Mood Lift, and again, it's available on DVD, is probably one of my favourite apps. And the reason being is these were all techniques I used when I was very ill with ME 17, 18 years ago. I used all of these techniques to heal myself. So it really leads you through gentle techniques, gentle yoga, meditation, affirmations, positive thinking, and the focus is all on increasing increasing the energy and enhancing the well-being. And the final app on the App Store, which is more recently made, is my Mama Yoga app. So this is perfect if you're pregnant and you want to do some safe and beneficial meditation, yoga and exercise. It also leads you through some hypnobirthing, which you can use during your labour. And then it shows you how to do yoga techniques safely straight after you've given birth and then following on after that six week checkup. And one of the most fun parts about this app is how to do massage with your baby and how to do some children's yoga with your toddler or preschooler. And you'll get to see my lovely Lucia and Lilia on this app. So that's it. That's all of my apps. Five apps. Just search Danielle Collins on your app store and four of these apps. So all of them, apart from the Mama Yoga app, are available as DVD. So let's get back to this episode now. And do you feel that that motivation and that self discipline is something that you were just born with? Do you think it's something you mm. learn by watching other people? Do you think it's something which was instilled in you through your parents or through different experiences you yeah. had? Where, where do you think that came from?
1: Loads of parents ask me that now mm. when I meet them or if I go into schools yeah, and bet. do talks. You know, different parents come <laughs> up because you know maybe I've just done a talk at some prize giving and their daughter's sons are like in that 15 16 year old age and tricky do they quit sport Do they keep going and they want to know and I think it's 50 50 I think you are born with some of it and I do think it's also how you're brought up and then I think it is clearly your decisions and your personality well so maybe that isn't 50 50 that's
0: a bit three ways ways.
1: (laughs) (laughs) me and Mass have never been good (laughs) 30 point something percent um yeah because I'm like keen now as a mum of two boys Mm. oh my goodness what are they going to be like yeah how am I going to bring them up but yeah so when my parents say that it wasn't that I was competitive as little but I never wanted to be told off so I always wanted to do really well because I hated being told off and even now actually I hate either people thinking badly of you or if you haven't done something right you you always want to do something to the best of your ability. It doesn't matter if that's the best, best, but just to the best of you know that you can yes. do it. And yeah. I think that's more with me. Yeah. If I know I can, in, in the gym, I guess, so I know I can lift heavier, so I will keep training until I know I can't, yeah. you know, you've reached that kind of pinnacle, I guess. So I guess that's what it was more about, of being the best that you can be. And the hard thing is Clearly, you can yourself against other people. That's what we all do. Of
0: course.
1: And there's always that because you're a competitor. And in our competitive sport, you have to watch the other people slide. You have to watch their lines. You have to learn from other people. But the biggest learning of those four years from Turin Olympics to Vancouver was the whole don't be obsessed about other people because that other girl going down on the sled is not going to make you and your sled go faster. Yeah. It, there's that quote about making your boat. Is the rowers? I can't remember I, it now. I feel like completely. I don't know this quote. There's, this, I there's a quote about um, making your boat go faster. Okay. What will make your boat go faster? Okay. And it is a similar thing. Like, is this lovely coconut macaroon in front of me going to make my sled go faster? Yeah. It is not. It, probably not. <laughs> you know, so it is that kind of thing. Of you need to look at the other competitors, see what they're doing in terms of their lines on the track, or this or that. But then you're the only person who can lift that weight heavier, run faster and get on the sled and make the sled go down faster. So there's that real fine line balance. And I don't mm-hmm. know if what were we, do- did that link into what we were talking about before? I, I don't know, but <laughs> I feel like I was talking about a lot of the pressure and, and the, and the yeah, motivation. The mo- and yeah, yourself. and it's internal. Yes. So yeah, I, I think yeah. it's a bit of it's, it's yeah. learning along the way. I think you have to have something born in you and yeah. your personality yeah. and parents never ever so that was the question also parents Mm -hmm. asked me is were my parents did they pressurize or were they competitive or did they force or drive no they would support in the background yes like even getting into the sport it's not like they had tons of money and just yeah you know no that was me Making the, the never decision of getting a- my uni t- degree yeah. and getting the student loan to pay and to work full time. It's not, so everything was on ours, even buying my first pet hamster that was 50p from my neighbour was me doing my paper round, earning my money to buy. So they've always been in the background, poor things, you know, 2, 3am driving to Stansted Airport because you had a six o'clock flight because it was the cheapest flight that you could buy. Those kind of things, bless them. You know, that in the background. And all they'd ever say is do your best. Be good. Be, my dad would be like, be good. Do your best. Oh, that that's be the it. best advice. And anyone they'd come and you. watch. They would always come at least once or twice in the winter season to come and watch and support. And they would just stand on the start, you know, on the somewhere down the track. You know, good luck. Do your best. And that would be it. There was never any pushing, any pressure, because it still has to come from you. That is it. It, it still has to come from you rather than a pushy parent. Because yes. sooner or later, that child will either retaliate and not want to do it. Or quit before their time when they could have really been good if they'd just done it in their own time. Absolutely. And like you say, so much
0: of it is about what's going in on in your own mind and yeah. your own decisions that you're making every second of every day. Yeah. And no parent can micromanage that, particularly when you're 16, 17, 18. Mm those sort of ages yeah so let's talk about vancouver i'm sure you've talked so many times about that actual experience mm. where you won the gold medal i actually showed my little girl lucia who's seven Aww. this morning because i said to them please play upstairs keep downstairs oh, nice please. and tidy are they, are they and no they've oh, taken I it. oh my gosh i could have brought it i could have brought the medal you would have heard, in them. no you would have heard the noise but i was like stay out the house. this morning yeah bruce took <laughs> about thankfully <laughs> but I was like stay upstairs and make it messy upstairs because I know with like an hour in the morning they'll get everything messy yeah. and they were like why I said because I've got a very special lady coming who's won an Olympic gold medal Aww. they were like can I see a picture I was like I'll show you the video so I got the video out and showed yeah, yeah. them that that moment where yeah. you won and actually as I watched I felt really emotional yeah. really emotional and they were like wow and particularly my seven-year-old, she's so sporty. Yeah, she's good the age, only that yeah. girl in her class that plays football with the boys, who does football club. And she just wants to do everything sporty and anything sporty. So to show her that and to say, you know, Aww. this is mummy's friends. Oh, come she's back coming and meet around, them. Come <laughs> back and meet them, bring the gold medal. They would love it. But anyway, going yes. back to that moment in Vancouver. So that moment you won the medal. Tell me just how did that feel?
1: Well, uh, I didn't know I'd want it to begin with. So in a World Championships and an Olympics, you race over two days. So it's four runs and they all get added up. So you can't drop one, you can't drop your worst run or whatever. So you have to be consistent. So for me and my life and the whole way I trained and prepared was consistency. Consistency is key. So for our sport, yes, you could have an absolute stormer and be amazing on one run, but if you're rubbish on the others, doesn't mean you're going to win so yeah it was you have three days of training so two runs a day so you have six runs to learn the track we'd been on it the year before because you have to have it was a brand new track and you have to have at least one race so a home homologation you have to have at one race and I, I got a silver medal in that world cup race so weirdly so it's a big corners fast track high g-force so in our world there's two different types of track there's low g-force smaller corners We call them glidey tracks, so you have to have a really fast push and every inch, left or right, into a corner really matters. But they're quite simple, people can get down them without crashing. Then you have your other tracks that are fast, high G-force, four to five G's of pressure as you go into a corner, which is the same astronaut taking, you know, like proper hardcore, take your breath away, see stars if you get it wrong. And I never used to really like those tracks, but I always performed at them. Somehow they suited my style of sliding, and Vancouver was one of those tracks. So yes, I'd got a silver medal the year before, so I knew the track suited me, and I got on with it. And then when we got to the Olympics, the ice was put on very differently. So the tracks are refrigerated, so they are big man-made concrete, massive corners, you're talking sort of, I don't know, a few metres tall. Uh, And then they're refrigerated and the ice gets spritzed on. And then each night it frosts up. The track workers come along and scrape off all the frost, spritz it with fresh water. So then you have the beautiful, like an ice skating rink kind of ice. But they put on the ice really differently. The profile of the ice concave convex was so different. So they mucked around a bit because the Canadians had had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of runs, knew it with their eyes shut, we come along, have six runs to learn, and all our track notes didn't really necessarily work from the year before. So you write down notes. Every run I've ever done on any track, I write down what I did in every corner. You write down air temperature, the ice temperature, humidity, the time of day, what equipment runners that you use. So the runners are like the tires on a car. How grippy were they, for example, to all the air and ice? So it's there's huge science behind it all. So we'd done all of that, and um, in some of the corners, I remember when the American girls, her sled flipped 360 all around. It was so dangerous, and it was so fast, and it freaked everyone out. Like, what the hell? Like, this is a different kind of track. And then, unfortunately, the day before um, our last day of training, or just before we started our official training, the luge, who were feet first on their back, um, there was a death. So one of the smaller nations. Freak, a really freak accident, but he died. So he, it was so fast, he made mistakes, he couldn't get his sled back under control, hit at a funny angle, flew out of the track and hit a metal post. Oh
0: my goodness.
1: So as you can imagine, you know, the kind of the sadness and and the shock across all of the family of those ice sports, I mean, it was just massive. It's like, what, what are we doing? Like, sliding like a penguin on our tummy and someone's just died and... What am I doing? Like, hang on a minute. Let's get a little reality grip here. So it was really um, frightening, shocking. Yeah. You know, they purposely built the fastest track that had ever been made. But they'd also played around a bit. And then smaller nations who just don't have the coaching, the experience. So what they did with the luge, they then, everyone started a little bit further down the track. So it was a little bit less speed, etc. And then for us, they offered one extra run from a few corners down on day one. Now, normally you only do two runs a day because the stress, the tiredness, the the concentration levels, you can't do more because then you make mistakes and it can go wrong. But I actually decided with my coach, I was going to take that extra run. So I would do three on that first day from further down. And you wouldn't normally do it further down because, because you're a bit slower. Different things happen in the corner because of the different speeds and pressures. So you can't do quite the same steers as what you would at the top of the track. But I just thought, you know what, I'm going to waste my nerves and that nervous energy and that panicness on that first run and just almost use it as a bit of a throwaway run. You know what, I'm just going to know that I'm fine, get down. Only myself, the Italian girl and one Japanese girl took that third run. Wow. Because obviously it, it was a bit of a decision making. Do you wear yourself out and get tired from doing it? And knowing that, yeah, the steers are going to be different. But I just knew, right, I've been given that. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to regret it. I will do it and waste my energy. So when I got to the top of the track on technically run two for me, but run one for everyone else, I was on it. I, I was like, right, I've survived. I've got down. This is fine. Let's concentrate. So when you actually won the gold so yeah. Medal so the, the, during the training, I was kind of always first, second, third. Mm. So I was in those medal positions. I was like, OK. So you sort of thought, oh, I'm going get a medal. Happen. This is fine. I didn't look at any of the other girls' runs. I got my coaches to do all of that video analysis for us. Just showed me what I needed to do and just told me, right, Amy, you just need to, in corner nine, steer a bit harder, change the angle of the sledge. Tiny things, I trusted them to study everything and just tell me the basics. I didn't want to look at any of the other girls. I didn't look at any timesheets sheets properly. I didn't study them because we put them all into graphs and scientific stuff. I was like, no, no, you do that. I don't want to. I just need to do what I need to do with my body, prep my sleds and all of that stuff. So yeah, when it came to the race, day one, I was number five off on the run one because I was fit, ranked fifth in the world. So you go off your world ranking. So end of day one, I knew I was in first place. You then have to go back to your house, prep your sled, do everything, eat, go to bed, knowing you're in that first place position. Oh, wow. Uh, so I'd never won a race before. I was always second, third, fourth, but I'd always in training shown that I could win. I've beaten all the other girls on the track and never quite did it on race day because I wanted it so badly, that extra 1% tension, whatever it might be. I was always in second, always third. So it's like, oh crikey, is this going to be the same old story? Am I just going to be training champion, which is what my coaches used to call me? But yeah, so it was really difficult. Waking up the next day, you were not you were first off, first off down the ice because you're in first place, and then for the fourth and final run, it goes slowest to fastest. Mm. So you, the changing room is getting emptier and emptier and emptier and, and emptier. And you're just waiting there. I took myself up and I was actually on a different level of a changing room. I was the only one up on this one place where all the physio beds were. We'd hidden all the windows with flags. The guy that I was dating at the time was with me. He was a bobsleigh athlete, chatting away. Just everything to make it not feel like <laughs> the run of my life. Yes. Um, yeah, and so I had literally had my fingers in my ears when they came out with the timings. I didn't know who at that point was in first, second, third, because you stand on a podium, basically. So as long as you're in first place, if the next person comes down and goes slower than you, you keep staying on that podium. So I didn't know who was where or what. So, yeah, so when I come down, it's not like a 100-meter race where Usain Bolt can look across and see, hey, I'm in the lead. Yeah. And I didn't want to presume I would still won uh, and actually, when you come out of the finish line, it's very, very steep uphill. You're going, wow, I was 92 miles per hour. Uphill, you sort of see a timing, but it actually gives you the number of the position of that run. So potentially that run was second fastest or third fastest or fourth fastest, but when they add up those four runs. So I didn't want to presume, and everyone's cheering anyway. Because it's the Olympics and everyone's just cheering. So until I got off my sled and my coach was at the bottom because they help you with your sled, I had to hug him, whisper, because he obviously knew, well, where did I come? And he then whispers back, you're Olympic champion.
0: (gasps) That moment! And then you're like,
1: okay. uh..." Oh, my God. And if you look back, I keep my helmet on. So we have a hood on our race suits. We have a hood over covering our hair. Then you have your helmet. And we all naturally, we just... Push the helmet up so it's still on our heads because normally you're holding your sled with two hands and your helmet's on your head. And I'm like that for ages with this helmet balanced on my head. Someone gave me a flag. If you look at the video, I don't even get the flag out properly because I'm just like, oh crap, what do I do? Everyone's look- everyone's looking at me. Yeah. Like back then, what, how old was I? Twenty-seven. Yeah, I was a sh- I'm sh- I'm shy, a shy girl. Like. And imagine okay. your life was just about uh, being an athlete. And what then do I that- do? Like yeah. everyone's looking. Like. And now I'm like, oh, I wish I had just taken my time, chill, take your helmet out, fluff your hair out, get that hair flag leg. properly around your shoulders with your Union Jack, and then wave and smile and enjoy the moment. But I remember just feeling really panicky of, okay, everyone's looking at me. Cool, I've just won. But what now? What now? And then I go and meet my two German friends who are still friends to this day who are second and third. Amazing. And then they're the ones hugging you and lifting me up on their shoulders. And yeah, you're like, oh, oh, my goodness. And then straight away, you have to go through, um, you have to stand on the weighing scales because we're we're a weight sport. So you have to get weighed and all your stuff that you have to do. And then you have to go straight through a media zone. All the world's press is like a little sausage, wiggly line that you have to go through as part of protocol. And the first interview, clearly, there's Claire Bolden, BBC Sport, holding the microphone. And I'm just, I think the first thing I say is like, oh my goodness, Claire, I'm I'm a massive fan. Like, I'm speaking to Claire Bolden, like, (laughs) oh. And she's the one who straight away then said, she had all these stats in her head, you know, of history of, do you realise you were the first individual gold medal for... 56 years, you know, how it, all the stats, you know, individual woman medal for 56 years, first gold medal for 30 odd, you know, like the oh, only really? gold
0: medal in this Olympics for Great Britain. Yeah, you, you, all of that, you're like,
1: yeah. oh, yeah, you're right. My name's going to go down in the history books. You just, you're not an athlete for those reasons, you know, you just want to be the best you can. And for me, it was just relief. Finally, I've won a race when I knew I always could and I knew I always had the ability and had shown that I could beat everyone so more it was just like oh thank goodness I finally did it and those four years of every day that hard grind was finally worth it you know to be fair, you just then feel utter exhaustion. I bet. Utter exhaustion.
0: But so I, you probably can't rest then, I imagine. I, I imagine then everything mentally. changes overnight. You're like, now so, yeah. you're a celebrity. So you're straight going-
1: after the media zone, um, the drugs testers come. So they, you literally have someone shadowing you until you literally go for a wee in a pot. I My coaches were splattered everywhere. So I just wanted to see my team. I wanted to hug my coaches. I wanted to hug my team. I wanted to find my mum and dad. And I finally found them at the bottom of the car park in the pitch black where all the big containers are kept for the bobsleigh. Policemen all around looking after you and still the dog tester lady, you know, because I still, still haven't gone for a week. She's
0: <laughs> still in my yes. race
1: stuff, had my my, my thick coat on. And finally, someone had found my parents and I got to hug them. So there is somewhere... A really beautiful photo in the pitch black of me hugging my parents oh. still, probably still with my helmet on my head knowing me. You know, like, and then, yeah, reality. Oh, great, now I've got to go and pee in the pot with this lady watching me go for a wee. <laughs> and, you know, just proper reality. <laughs> like, who cares? Yeah. If you've just got won a gold medal, actually. You've got to do the practical yeah, things. of course. And I didn't get my medal until the day after. Okay. So in Vancouver, they um, squashed together different medal ceremonies. So there's maybe five at a time in the Van- Whistler Village Um, where everyone could gather, buy a ticket, obviously buy tickets and then be there to watch different people. So I was within about five others of biathlon or different sports. And that was the next day. But I remember I was so excited. So every Olympics has mascots, as we know. And I wanted this big hairy one called Quotchy. He was this big (laughs) hairy monster of like a big fluffy bear. And I'd walked around the village and, you know, they're all really expensive. And you're like, oh, I really want one, but no, not at the moment. And the sled tech girl, Rachel Blackburn at the time, and my physio, who clearly I spent every day of my life with, they knew I really wanted one. When I got back to my bedroom that I shared with a girl who I'd never met before until then, and she was a biathlete there was Quatchy on my bed.
0: Oh, that's so cute.
1: But you know what? That's like one of the things that I remember that I was so excited about that which actually so just nothing. getting this Olympic mascot at the age of 27, but I just wanted this soft toy. And to this day, like he's now with my son, but that was my, yeah. like, because I was going to buy it as a treat to myself. Oh, that so And lovely. he was there waiting and they had put a sign on my door, gold, oh. and then in the offices of the Olympic Association, like our little they had like little offices, they had this medal tally chart and there was this little gold medal that had been stuck on this chart and you were like, yay! Like, you were just excited to see everyone. That it was just the just simple crazy. things of... And I treated myself, I went into the big food hall. I'm really rambling now, but it's, it, you remember these things. No, I love things. hearing this, I feel like going um, to love this. I went into the big, amazing food hall where like almost the day before I'd seen like, Arnold Schwarzenegger like walk in and you were like... <gasps> like Oh my goodness! This is amazing. And I promised myself a cinnamon swirl from McDonald's because clearly we all know there's McDonald's at the Olympics. And I promised myself a warm, hot cinnamon swirl. <laughs> and I sat and I ate with oh. a hot chocolate, this warm cinnamon swirl. Oh. And it was the most amazing. Were you on your own? While you had that? No, I was with the guy that I oh. was dating. Yeah. And that's like the simple pleasure, the little moment. Yeah. I remember sitting and just. Eaten it and then from there
0: after you you'd won the medal you just sort of come down from everything yeah i imagine when you got back to the uk your life went from training every day being that athlete completely focused on your Mm. team and and your training schedule to right amy you are going on this tv show you've got to be interviewed by Mm. this newspaper how did you find that massive transition and i imagine that you weren't particularly mentally prepared for that necessarily no no.
1: i mean i didn't have an agent like before the olympics yeah lots of other people spent a lot of time trying to get sponsors and you know knowing that they could make loads of money out of it i didn't do any of that i was just like you know what yes you need that extra money and sometimes of course that money makes you faster but that moment in time i was like you know what head down If the medal comes, then all of that I'll I'll figure out afterwards. I had been renting out my flat that I had in in the centre of Bath because for six months when we're away, you can make money. So I'd already moved back into my parents' house because someone was living in my flat um so technically i was homeless because <laughs> i hadn't it was like a su- six months that i rented it out mm. for yeah to, to make some money yeah <laughs> um and so i w- i moved back home but yeah i was the ba flight home i vividly remember because i was in seat 1a Never been in first class before with Quatchi, oh, Me and Quatchi in the medal. One, number, love one number, one scene, number one. I love it. Number one glass of champagne, which I don't, <laughs> did I drink it or not? I can't even remember if I drank it.
0: Were you meant to go back first class or it's because
1: no, you No, you would have been in the back oh, with everyone right. else. Okay. But
0: because like <laughs> <It was I, laughs> suddenly life changes. Thought, but I'm all yeah. on my
1: own as well. Like, oh crap, actually, I'd rather be with all my mates. Yeah, but, but let's enjoy yeah, no. it. Uh, and I, I didn't sleep a wink because I was just, Yeah, you were just at this uh, this weird place. But then I get so excited because it's all the movies. All I ever want to do is see how many movies I can watch on a plane. And I'm still like that to this day. So I think I I watched about four movies, um, exhausted. And I knew as soon as I got off in the Heathrow, I had to go straight onto the one show. Wow. Literally, someone, a car was there to pick me up. And I actually had my sled with me to take me straight into the studios of BBC. And I was straight on the on the one show. Wow. Which was again weird. And were know? you nervous doing that? Or were yeah, you just Yeah, it was just all of it was just like you were just in this exhausted yeah. haze of a bubbly weirdness thing. Yeah. Uh, and then I was the same week was on Jonathan Ross. Yeah. So that again was Which frightening. I this week it was so actually. amazing. <laughs> I loved it. I watched it. It Didn't he make that helmet for you? I think it's still in my parents' house. So he made this like rocket helmet. I can't remember really what happened, but I just thought, because everyone was like, okay, warning because he can really slate you and be hard. And I I just remember thinking... He can't say anything horrible to but me. But he wasn't. Like, he was lovely he was, to you, wasn't he? He was yes. so nice. And the exciting thing, I got into like your little changing room and you had your makeup done and your hair, which obviously I'd never had before. So I got dressed. You know, someone had given me this dress and these beautiful... I remember I was in a really... If it's the... The event that I remember, I was in this lovely dress and heels. Had to give them back, unfortunately. Oh. And he'd got this beautiful bouquet of flowers. Oh. And a beautiful candle. Because they don't pay you to go on these shows. Yeah. I mean, probably if you're a mega star, you probably do. But you okay. don't, you know. Yeah. And I just remember, I think I had my sister and like um, one of my mates with me. Because you could bring guests. And I just remember it being like, oh my goodness, we're in this little changing room. Private changing room with bouquet of flowers. And yeah, those small things that yeah. I'm sure everyone gets so used to. But I wasn't, you know, like... It was amazing. Um, yeah, it was nerve-wracking because I can remember Charlotte Church was with me. Plan B, do you remember? Like, yes. Singers who had just released their very first album. So now Superstar, oh he gosh. was on there. James Corden. Wow. When he, you know, so this was, yeah, yeah, we're talking like 10, 10 years ago, almost, yes. almost 10 years. You know, and he was only just coming into that kind of height of fame. So yeah, when you look back, and even now, I'm so sad, glad that it started back up because I just love his show. He's, a, and he's such a nice man. Like. It's amazing. Yeah, so all of those kind of weird things going on Top Gear, like going on, you know, BBC sofas. So yep. the very next day, all the radio, all the TV were at my parents' house. What, literally outside? It, literally all the big wow. fans blocking up the roads what of my parents, parents' house. What did your parents think of this? Well, it was just what, what, what it was. And yeah. all these cards were coming through the post. Wow. Amazing. i kept them all. And one of them... Well, you sent any weird the, gifts? Uh, not weird weird no there was like odd things that people had sent or just more school children had had drawn new things and i've got them all in boxes everyone in boxes and one this envelope had a stamp and just had amy bath that was it no <gasps> postcode no address they didn't know and it got to my it got to the house oh so uh, stuff like that the postmen just knew they just knew. at that point in time like well, that's where amy's parents live
0: that's the sweetest thing. And I've never so known to the
1: day, de- like, I'm I found, i th- I'm sure I found it out a while back because I've kept them all. And one day I'd love to, you know, show my children and all yes. the rest of it and all that kind of memorabilia I've got, like, at home, just a newspaper. I, I don't think I saved all the newspaper cuttings and I told myself I'd put them in a book, which clearly to this day I still haven't done. You know, they're just, but I they're stopped there. saving them after a while. I was just like, oh, okay, just, yeah, whatever. Like, they're around. Um, and everything is so
0: digital now. Oh, and, I know. Isn't and it actually it, I, talking about showing your children, let's talk a little bit about your lovely little boys. And mm, by the way, before we started this podcast, I was <laughs> saying to Amy, I cannot believe she has a six-month-old. She's <laughs> yeah. literally crazy busy with all her work that she does. She has two little boys, two and a half and six months. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Just over two and a half. Oh, my goodness. So now, how has life changed? So we talked about how life changed when you became a professional athlete and then how it changed when you got your gold medal how has life changed now you're being a mom in terms of health fitness just general General lifestyle life
1: well yeah I mean full-time mom to two little boys at the same time being sort of self-employed trying to never say no to a job whether that's charity an event or the face yoga expert podcast doing these podcasts for friends (laughs) Yeah, I mean, every day and week is different. And I think everyone knows as a self-employed person, you never know when your next job's coming. Comes, come. You just say yes to everything. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, craggy, I've got something nearly every day. How am I going to battle this with the boys and my wonderful parents that I couldn't do it without them? Because, you know, they, they help and babysit and Oscar, Oscar the oldest is in nursery just one and a half days a week. So it doesn't give me much time. So a bit like him, when he was born, I mean, when he was two weeks old, I had a job. And actually with both of the boys, I worked, I mean, until a few days before I popped, I actually had jobs, you know, with my massive belly trying to put on clothes or whatever, what nice trying to like, to go yeah, on yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, And then both of them, actually, when they were two weeks old, I was on the train up to London. And yeah, bless, my mum would come. I'd be like, right, I've got like an hour, hour and a half between feed of right I've got to do this corporate talk you disappear with the little one I'll do the talk I'll come back feed him go back on the train you know it was just almost that athlete preparation in you comes into daily motherhood or prepping prepping their bags thinking ahead actually planning military style yes It comes into daily life. Yeah, I mean it's madness sometimes, absolute madness. And yeah, I think the hardest thing for me is that my own physical training, my body, time for yourself. Which, as an athlete, you were obsessed. You know, every decision was just you. That is clearly the very last on the list now, and it is hard because I miss it. I miss. Training, I miss do. doing it for you every day, but your boys are your priority. Family life definitely this a is a different phase in your different life, different phase, different chapter. So what do you do to just keep fit now? What's the sort of routine? So, yeah, I mean, with Oscar the I, I still jogged a lot. So I did only short jogs because my knees are too dodgy. So I just do odd jobs. Um, And then when I got too big and heavily pregnant and you just wee yourself, don't you? It's just not cool. Um, (laughs) And then I got, I mean, I was massively into yoga then. So I'd stopped my sport. And yeah, I was doing yoga every single day. So every day until the morning, I actually went into hospital to give birth. And then clearly... Wow! Well, you just, how can you do that still? In the same way of me going to a studio, I guess. So I got back my body. I was like, I'm not gonna have baby number two until my body is back, six pack back, like strong. And yeah, I did lots of different things and cycling, but still then I push him around in the buggy. So loads of walking, small jogs, short jogs again. And then occasionally the odd yoga or if my mum had him or whatever. Then with Alfie, I definitely did not jog as long because then pushing the buggy and being pregnant and uphill. And you have bath, quite a few
0: injuries, don't yeah, you? Yeah, well, back from...
1: knees. So I didn't do that as much. I just tried to keep moving and walking. But pregnancy was quite different. I was very nauseous, very dizzy all the time. I, I would faint in the night when I got up to feed Oscar. Oh, wow. I would just be walking in town doing my shop and I would have to pretend to be looking at the bottom shelf because I would come over really dizzy. Um, so it was very different and a lot more pain sciatic pain with my legs and my back and yeah it just wasn't as cool which is why I was convinced I was having a girl I was like <laughs> yes I'm having a girl <laughs> no, no. No, no 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 two boys um, so yeah and, and now well I, I'm Whilst being pregnant with Alfie, I then took on my PT courses. So I, I've done my PT courses, my, um, my personal training and instructor, fitness instructor. And right now we are converting, I've got double garage, I'm converting into a gym. Love that For me, for us to be able to train, because I miss physically lifting weights, I miss that side of life, but then also to be able to take on the odd PT clients that will merge in with crazy life. And then you know, when the boys are at school age to then take on a lot more clients and and make that into a, a more of a business. So yeah, I'm going to dabble. I'm going to see how it fits into life. And yeah, my mission now, Alfie, six months, is I want to feel like a, not an athlete again. You're never going to be that same Person and body, you know, I was 9% body fat. I wow. was pure muscle. I was strong. I was fast. I knew, you know, you had that. But you that. were training like all day, every day. That was it. You know, it's it yeah. your so, life. So, you know, you, you accept you're in a different phase, but I want to still feel strong, feel good, just for me, and yeah. mentally get the buzz, the endorphins that you get from exercising, like we all know. And the boys, I mean, Oscar's watched and, and actually sat at dinner the other day. He started doing this arm routine oh, that he had watched that. us, me do. And then he picked up so the milk cute. cartons and started pretending he was doing squats with oh them. Oh my gosh, I love it. It's he's so an cute in making. And then he'd do a lunge and he thinks it's really funny or his <laughs> squat and lift above his head. Like He's just watched and like... Oh like just that's amazing it's so sweet he's
0: gonna grow up just seeing that and the importance of health yeah and i hope so and mm-hmm. you know and like you said with your parents they never push you into anything but they were there just on the sidelines supporting you and i guess if your boys do decide to go down that route of being an athlete you can do the same thing you can just yeah. be there supporting them along the way but also coming from that place of experience as yeah, well I hope which is so. just I mean, amazing my, my husband
1: played rugby uh, in the army he's mm-hmm. in in the army and you know i see Equally, we both want them to play rugby, but you never know. They might you hate so sports. still know they're going to be like lane. footballers they might hate or it. something
0: now, not well, rugby players. I'm just like,
1: what kind of a parent? Do I want to be the swimming parent at 5am on the pool? No. Or do I want to be... So- yeah, so, you, you know what, decide. it will be what it will be, but, you will. oh, come on, Bath Rugby, come on, let's yes. get them into rugby tops as soon as possible. Yes. Like... I feel like
0: that'd be a good sport.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's more sociable
0: hours yeah, as well. Like, very
1: subtly. yeah, Like, um, push them towards yeah. certain directions. A little rugby kit for Christmas. Although, you know, even watching them in an athletics and, or even cricket, you know, you kind of like, okay, like, I just want yeah. them to try everything. Of right? Course. Like I did, just try everything and then And they may not they be into decide. any of it. Or oh, right. So they they you might know, be completely yeah. into science, maths, yeah. sports, what? uh, art, whatever. Yeah. Who knows? Who exactly.
0: knows? Exactly. So if you were to give mums or mums to be a sort of little bit of general self-care advice what would that be
1: oh crikey (laughs) well like all of us you're just always just trying to find that little moment of time to yourself and I don't know I think it's probably just not being hard on yourself it's we've all got a goal we've all got that thing and I I know now it's just as easy to be like no you know what? I'm just gonna eat another packet of mince pies and I'll get on it next week promise myself I'll get running next week And the next week comes and you still don't. Oh, I've worn um, my leggings and sports kit for the last three days, telling myself when the boys are asleep in their nap times, I will run. Well, it hasn't happened okay. because actually I've been slopping on damp proofing in the garage for the gym. You know, there's or always something with them to do. We were talking or a mouse, earlier about with and the mice. Mouse with yeah. my cat that just before I came here always brings in a mouse. Like, just yeah. to see. So So weird stuff takes over rather than I me know. putting my trainers on and going for a jog. So I think. It is that actually, no, just be a bit kind to yourself. And I want to look better. I want to lose a few kilos. I want to whatever. And you're like, actually, come on now. Like, you might not be in your pre-pregnancy clothes, but you're healthy, you're fit. You've got two healthy boys. Don't be hard on yourself. Like, everything comes in time. And, And just accepting that this is a chapter, I'm in this certain chapter of life. I still have goals. I want to put them out there. And I think like anyone, I'm sort of waiting for January. I'm waiting yes. for that January the 1st, new year, new chapter, like everyone. I yes. never have like, I never make resolutions or anything um, like that. But actually, come on now, let, 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 let's crack on like everyone else. And just set those simple goals one jog a week. Yes. For 30, 20, 30 minutes, yeah. slowly one jog a week. Yeah. I start small and don't expect too much, don't put too much pressure eat a bit more healthy, I'm going to stop because I have got really bad. I've got a sweet tooth. We've been looking at those four We've been four looking biscuits. at these four macaroons in one of us and I'm we sort of determined because actually, for once, I did eat eggs for breakfast this morning. That's good. And I have porridge good. and blueberries. Good, yeah. So, so I feel like we could
0: have one of those biscuits in a minute and we're drinking peppermint tea. <laughs>
1: so I think small things like that, actually, yeah. I'm going to just eat a bit healthier, not get into those habits of after you've eaten your meal, sitting on the sofa, watching TV, eating chocolate, And rummaging around the cupboards for that sugar fix, which you know you shouldn't do and you shouldn't have and all the rest of it. Maybe do it once a week, not seven times a week. Uh, I I agree. I
0: think that that's really good, sensible advice. And a final
1: question. Do you have any skincare routine that you do? Well, yeah, mummy, mummy life skincare, I do always try and wash my face with whatever wash I've got at the time. I try and tone, I try and slap on the eye cream and face cream. I I don't ritually stick to certain products. I do sort of switch and change of what might be on sale in boots or my Sainsbury's shop or whatever. But yeah, I do always try, no matter how busy or crazy, to do the whole well, I wear less and less makeup being a mum. I have to put my mascara on most oh, of the time. Bit of Otherwise mascara. you just lose. You've always like got good lashes, death.
0: I feel. I'm quite lucky yes, I do have you've got good got long good lashes. eyelashes.
1: But just one coat of mascara or whatever. Um Yeah, but I do try and always, right, I am going to wash my face, put on my eye cream, my serum, my face cream, whatever. No matter what happens in the day, I will try at night and in the morning. But that's as far as I go. Well, it's working. You've got great skin. So it's just the dark bags under the eyes.
0: That's having a six-month-old baby. (laughs) That's literally all that is. He's
1: poorly at the moment. He did sleep through. He slept seven till five. So that's, that was all right. Do you know, for a six-month-old baby, yeah. that's actually amazing. Two nights before that, it was every two hours because he's ill and coughing and spluttering and just wants cuddles. So it's hit oh, or miss. little cutie yeah. he is.
0: So shall we do, to finish, just a few quick fire questions? Yes. Okay, are you ready? You look terrified. Go. They're easy. <laughs> They're fine. Okay, bath or shower? Shower for speed. Hair or makeup? Makeup. Nights out or nights in? Oh, nights in. Love it. <laughs> Countryside or seaside? Countryside. Okay. Drive or be driven? Drive. Oh, see, I wouldn't have said that for me. Ugh, hate driving. Love Yoga it. class or spin class? Yoga class. Yes. Trainers or heels? Trainers. Face wash or cream cleanser? Face wash at the moment. Okay, nice.
1: Snowy winter's day or hot summer's day? I'm actually a hot summer's day. Yes. However, since having children with the kerfuffle of sun cream and slapping it on and having to stay in the shade. That's true. I'm slowly enjoying autumn and stuff a lot more. Then you have to do the hats and scarves and everything. So if it's just bikini on a beach on my own, 100% the sun with children it's slowly morphing away from the sun (laughs) love that
0: morning person or night owl morning okay that's good so favorite color blue favorite song
1: i don't actually have one
0: do you have one that you just like I put love, on sometimes have a jam out to? I'm, I
1: love country music. Love
0: that. What's your favourite country song? Do you have a favourite one? Dolly yeah. Parton?
1: No, I don't even have a favourite. I just love whatever it is, Radio 2, Thursday evenings, like Nashville. I was obsessed by the TV show Nashville. That's amazing. I'm so, um, actually told one, you of, the the t- one music. of the TV. So I know we're not quick fire. One of the um, songs from Nashville, the TV series, um, "When the Right One Comes Along." That was our first wedding dance. Oh. It's got the most beautiful lyrics. Search it out, and it was a duet in this TV show. I mean, that that melts my heart. Oh, yeah. Listen to that. I'm going right to listen to that along. after this. Yes,
0: favorite memory.
1: You know what? Actually, I think giving birth to my that that moment when you've let's just the... say plopped out plopped. the baby clearly yeah. not and it's put on your chest oh. because when we we watched the whatever programme the other day and I was like already I miss that smell oh. I can smell it still that newborn smell of when your head. baby is put on it makes me want to cry oh. when they're put on you and you just smell them oh. yeah that that that's yeah. so
0: cute favourite drink like just a cup of tea just a nice cup just of tea a cup of tea that's hot oh do you have a favourite crystal do you like crystals I've never done this. No, crystals. you're not, I'm not into the crystals. Okay, no. final thing, your number one self-care tip.
1: Well, it would be sleep. Yes. Because it's so lacking at the oh. moment. Sleep. And Love I think that. as an athlete, it was you needed your rest and your sleep.
0: And still now, it's sleep. 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 I can tell you, like, bring me sleep, please. Sleep. <laughs> well, Amy, thank you so much. What an amazing pleasure. guest you've been.
1: Absolute pleasure, thank you.